Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. If you would like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do so online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Now let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God. We give our, show our appreciation to our worship team this morning. Great rendition of that song, and I don't know about you, but one of my favorites. Thank you, Vanessa. Anybody else that's your favorite? Come on, somebody. It's one of the best ones out there. Oh, holy night. And uh, today we are continuing along in our series, A Christmas uh, Playlist, and that maybe your favorite song has a little bit more to say than you originally thought. And so last week, Pastor Ryan did a great job kicking off the series with Joy to the World. And today we're going to be diving into Oh Holy Night. I want to welcome those of you tuning in online, wherever you're taking part of the service today. We're honored that you're joining in. And so I want to give you a little context about the song. First, it was written about 1847 uh, by a French merchant named Placide Capot. And don't be judging my French pronunciation, all right? It's probably way off. And uh, I just didn't look up how you say it in French. So uh, I did my best job. Uh, but he was this French poet. He wasn't a songwriter, really, but a poet. And uh, was well known. And a Catholic priest uh, said, hey, would you be willing to just to write a poem giving an account of Christ's birth from Luke chapter 2? And uh, we'd like to, you know, to read that on our, at our Christmas Eve mass service uh, that they would have. And so uh, all of you uh, Catholic people, we have to thank Catholic background for for getting this, and so he goes and he writes it, and he wasn't even a believer uh, in Jesus, but yet, you know, read the story, wrote this, and was so moved by it that he was like, I think this needs to be put to music, and so he reached out to one of his good friends, Adolph Adams, who then put it to music and wrote the song, Oh Holy Night, and two weeks later, it was played at the Christmas Eve mass service, and then uh, about 50 years later, in 1906, on Christmas Eve, 1906, Reginald Fezenden, uh, he was a 33-year-old Canadian university professor. He was the former chief chemist for Thomas Edison, did something that was long thought impossible. He was using a new type of generator, and Fezenden spoke into a microphone, and for the first time in history, a man's voice was broadcast over the airwaves. And on Christmas Eve, he recited Luke chapter 2 and the birth of Jesus Christ. And once he finished that, he picked up his violin and played O Holy Night. And it was the first song that was ever broadcast over airways. And so you didn't know, now you know, and let's all thank Google for that. All right? <laughs> That's where the song was written. I just thought it was interesting that... These guys weren't even believers uh, who wrote the song and yet reading the story, moved by the story, put together such a beautiful song that I believe just ministers so well to our hearts. And today we're going to dive into that and describe a little bit and dive in a little bit more to what this song really means. And when you think about it, it was obviously written on the night of, to describe the night of Christ's birth. It said the poet, when he wrote the song, he was really trying to imagine what it would be like to be sitting in the story of Luke chapter 2. 
And we get this beautiful picture, and I don't know, does anybody set up manger scenes in your house? We set one up on our mantle, you know, it's, it's very popular. In fact, when I lived in Springfield, Missouri for a season of our life, it's kind of the buckle of the Bible Belt. The McDonald's stores, restaurants there, would put a manger scene out in front of their store. All of them did it in the area. I don't know if the same guy owned it or whatever, and nobody threw a fit about it. Can you believe that? They just embraced it for what it was. Hey, it's Christmas. Hey, it's a manger scene. Let's just roll with it, all right? I don't, I can, I can close my eyes while I buy my cheeseburger anyway off of that uh so so anyways they have this you know this scene and you know it's it's so cute and we put it up on our mantle and there's little Jesus and his little you know the cradle there he's all wrapped up and everybody's around him and you know they're just this beautiful scene of worship and all that but but when you really know the story how many of you know it really wasn't that pleasant of a situation right one Mary is a teenager pregnant by God, right, engaged to be married, tells her fiance, hey, uh, I'm pregnant. It's not yours, but it's not anyone else's. It's God's. He struggled with it, right? God had to send an angel to keep that guy on board, and he does, and he stays on board. I imagine she's a teenager telling her parents about what's going on, and so if she's probably at odds with her parents because you just didn't do that culturally then. You would be written off. You, you broke your commitment, your vow. And so they're in a very difficult situation just being pregnant. And then they can't find a place to have the baby. So they travel 80 to 100 miles. They finally come to a place and, and there's no room for them to, to have the baby indoors. And so they have to have the baby outside in a barn surrounded by animals. Very difficult situation. Very difficult season for Mary and Joseph. Can we just be honest? It probably wasn't the most wonderful time of the year. And you see, that's a reality that a lot of us have to face sometimes. I love Christmas. It's definitely one of my favorite holidays. I enjoy it. I embrace it for what it is. You know, we'll have Christmas music on. We decorate. We do all of that. And I love it. But, but can I be honest with you? There's been times because of either the year that I had, the season I was in, what I knew was lying ahead in the next year, that I wasn't too excited about the most wonderful time of the year. Anybody else who's been there before? It's just not a great season. Similar to Mary and Joseph. And for some of you, uh, maybe you're in one of those seasons. I know for us today, December 2nd, marks the eight-year anniversary that my daughter Riley had open-heart surgery today. And she was five weeks old. And if I can just be honest with you, that was not a wonderful season for us. It was very challenging. And I can remember... Uh, that morning at this time sitting in a waiting room and being in the room and five weeks old couldn't eat all night because she was going to have surgery screaming her head off for some food and finally getting her quieted down and then they walk in and they say it's time and handing your baby over to know that they were going to cut her chest open and begin to work on her heart. I remember getting to the waiting room and just finally sitting down and just the weight of what we were going through I just broke under the pressure and just began to weep and I remember in that moment, God whispering to me, he said, Kyle, I love her more than you. And it gave me the peace that I needed. But it wasn't the most wonderful time of the year for us then. And maybe you're there today, there's health issues, there's family issues, you're, you're experiencing the first Christmas season without that loved one because they've passed away and you're fighting your own financial problems and just the pressure of Christmas and gifts and money and all this stuff, it's just overwhelming you. And sometimes it's just we're approaching the end of a year and you could just be flat, worn out from what you've gone through. 
Today, I really felt like God wanted me to speak to those of you who may find yourself in the weary part of this song today. I love that line where it says, a thrill of hope, the weary, the weary rejoice in the hope that comes. And today, maybe you're here and you're fighting with just discouragement and you're weary with discouragement. You've just been discouraged. You're, you're fighting maybe even a, a season of depression and you're just trying to get out of it. You're in this funk and you're trying to fight through it. Maybe you're just weary with doubt and uncertainty about what's happening in your life and what's happening in your, your, your career and there's uncertainty about the future and maybe you're weary with fear and there's just stuff going on and, and you don't know what's going to happen and the fear can seem to be overwhelming at times and that fear is leading you then to be weary with worry and you're just worried about your kids and you're worried about different situations and things that you're facing and today I want to tell you that this song I believe in the meaning of Christmas and the birth of Jesus, that it, it offers us the thrill of hope that the author was speaking of. Because then he goes on to say a thrill of hope and the weary world, he says, and then a new and glorious morning is waiting. For some of you today, you need to realize that you've been made new, that you're free from your past, forgiven, that there's hope for your present and there's a purpose for your future. After the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., God's people were, were struggling. And this prophet, Jeremiah, was known as the weeping prophet because God never really came through for him in, in big ways. And he was constantly trying to convince God's people to embrace God again. And Jerusalem has fallen, and Jeremiah is in this difficult season. And in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 20 through 26, he is, again, he's a prophet speaking on behalf of God. He says this, he says, I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. I'm down, I'm out, I'm fighting depression. And so he's in a difficult season. It's not the most wonderful time of the year. And then in verse 21 he says, yet, I'm down and I'm out. I'm, I'm fighting depression. I'm, I'm weary, yet I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Come on, you guys, aren't, you're not getting this. He says, yet... Look, today you may be weary, you may be feeling worn out in what the song is saying and what he's saying. He says, yet I'm calling to memory. I'm reminding myself of who God is. I'm reminding myself of the promises of God. And therefore, even though I'm down, I still have hope. Then he goes on to describe this hope that he has. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. That just means he's all I need. Therefore, I will wait for him, the one who has all that I need. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. He says, I call to memory. I remind myself of the promises of God. And today, that is my goal for you. I want to call to your memory. I want to call to your mind to let you know that there's hope no matter what you're facing this holiday season. Look at your neighbor real quick and just say there's hope. Some of you, you just need to hear that. You need to hear it. You need to believe that for yourself that there's hope for you. There's hope for your situation. You need to believe that 
today. But I want to tell you something. You can't call to memory what you don't know. It's so important that you know the promises of God for your life. It's one of the reasons, hopefully, you're here today. But I'm telling you, if you're relying on 30, 35, maybe on a good day, 40 minutes of a sermon, of a message on a Sunday morning to carry you through for an entire week, let me just say probably by Monday morning you'll be worn out. Probably by Monday morning you won't have the the nourishment that the word of God, the promises of God offer your life. And so how are you spiritually feeding yourself on the word of God that you can't call to memory what you don't know? And you need to know the promises of God for your life because I promise you, you're going to face situations just like Jeremiah where I'm downcast, where I'm out, where things aren't looking good. And I'm going to call to memory what I don't feel but what I know is true. I need that. So there's hope for you today. And I believe there's three areas that this song speaks to and that Jesus offers hope for us. And the first area is hope from your past. The song said, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Now, don't act like you're smart enough to know what error pining means, right? They're like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that means. I had to look it up. But it simply means, like, here we are, like, pining means to long for. It means to declare, like, to to be longing for a Savior. It says, here is the world in sin, lost in sin, longing for the Savior to come. Here, Here we are. And maybe that's where you are today, that, that, that you're past and that you, you've never experienced the forgiveness and the freedom that God offers you from your past, that you are longing for something, for hope to say, you've been forgiven, you've been free. Lost in our sin is where we were, and God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent Jesus into this world with the only purpose, Jesus' whole purpose, why he came, Christmas was all about Easter. He came at Christmas, he lived a life His whole purpose was to live a life so that he could pay the price for our sin. There was no way for us to be reconciled, for a lost and sinful world to be reconciled to our Heavenly Father. And Jesus made the way. It was the only reason he came. And because of that, there's hope from your past. Because of Jesus, we are forgiven and free to be who God created us to be. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus, that your past does not disqualify you from the future that God has for you. In this moment, today, I don't care what happened in the car on the way here. God says that can be gone. The old is gone. The new has come. Jesus brought with him hope from your past. It says, till he appeared and the soul felt his worth. The soul felt its worth. You see, the presence of God coming into the world through his son Jesus, that presence proved that you have a purpose. His presence, God sending, Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth, his presence in the world in that moment said, my soul now has worth. You see, they say that value is determined not on what you think it's worth, but on what someone's willing to pay for it, right? I'd love to believe that my 06 Honda Odyssey is worth $30,000. Come on, somebody believe with me, right? Somebody come in and say, man, that is a valuable vehicle, right? That is a strong-looking mom mobile, and I'm going to give you $30,000 for it, right? I could hope and wish all day long and believe that that thing is worth $30,000, and maybe it just is to me. But the value is determined on what someone is willing to pay for it. And the blue book value on that vehicle is probably about 
10 times less than that, about $3,000. So value isn't determined upon how we feel or what we believe something to be worth. Value is determined on what someone's willing to pay for it. And you were so valuable to God that he sent his son who was with him in heaven out of heaven into this world so that you could have the freedom to be who he created you to be. That is your value. That is how valuable you are to God. And just the very presence of the Son of God coming into this world proved that every human being has worth and is valuable to God, so valuable he was willing to give his life for you. So today, don't doubt your value. Don't doubt your worth. God is bigger than your past. He's for you. He's not against you. And the presence of God in this world meant that you could be forgiven and set free from your past. And today, some of you just need to know there's hope from that. Don't allow the enemy to keep pulling your past up before you. Get your eyes off of that. God isn't concerned about your past, so you shouldn't be concerned about it. Move forward to the future that he has for you. That's why this Christmas is so important and why we spend so much time preparing for our Christmas services. Five services we'll offer this year. And, and why we do so many is because it's the, the time of year where people are more open to the gospel, to the hope of Jesus, than any other time of the year. They're hearing about it. They're hearing it on the radio, whether you even like it or not. You listen to 94.7, 93.3, whatever Christmas station you listen to, they're singing about the hope of Jesus. And, you know, all I want for Christmas is a kiss from you or whatever, right? They're singing about all that. But, man, it, it, you're surrounded by it. And so our community is longing for it. And here we have this opportunity. And so we just want to encourage you. We believe everyone can reach someone. We put invite cards on the seats around you. You can grab a stack anywhere you go. Grab your, trip, your burrito bowl at Chipotle. Hand them a card. If you don't have a place to go at Christmas, we'd love to have you at Adventure Church. That's as easy as it is. Share the Facebook event. Click on the invite button. Invite your friends to come. Whatever you need to do. But I'm just telling you, there's people in our community who need hope from their past. Who are lost in their sin longing, like this song says, for the birth of a Savior, longing for purpose, longing for meaning, longing for what we've experienced. And here we have this window of opportunity to be inviting others to be a part of it. So be an inviter. Be someone who's reaching out to those this Christmas. And we want to say thank you to those of you who are willing to serve. We understand your schedule is hectic. We understand that you got to get to the in-laws and this place and that place and get the kids here and get to here. There. That's why we do five services. And our prayer is that you'd be willing to serve one and then attend one. And you're already getting invites. Many of you are already signing up. And we understand it may not always be convenient, but we don't always do what's convenient for us. We do what's convenient for Jesus and his message and his purpose. And so thank you for being inconvenienced so that someone in our community can have hope from their past, can experience the love of God. There's hope from your past. There's hope in your present there's hope from your past, you're forgiven, but there's also hope in your present, whatever you're going through. It's interesting that Jesus was born at night. Long lay the world, it was a holy night, but it was night. It was dark, and here he comes into a dark world. But the amazing thing about Jesus is, is when he came into a dark world, he left heaven and came to earth, and literally heaven came to earth with him. Light came with him. Joy to the world as we talked about last week, has come, that the light of heaven is here. It says a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. There's hope to rejoice about. Lamentations, verse 25, the 
prophet said that the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. Today, I think when we hear that, we have to ask ourselves the question. It's easy in our culture and society to place our hope in other things. And today, have you misplaced your hope? Because if your hope is in anything other than Jesus, if it's in the stock market, if it's in the promotion at work, if it's in your business, if it's in your marriage, if it's in the success of your kids, if you've placed your hope in anything other than Jesus, let me just be the first one to tell you, it will eventually disappoint you. He is the one that we put our hope in. Not a person, not an outcome. Our hope has to be in him. In Hebrews 10.23 it says, so we hold tightly, let us hold tightly without wavering. To the hope we affirm, to what we believe. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. We hold on to him. We hold on to hope. I hear people say, you know, I'm holding out. I'm holding out for hope. I'm holding out today. Listen, don't hold out. Hold on. Don't step back. It says to to, to the one who seeks him, to the one who pursues him, to the one who makes a choice to grab on to the promises of God. Don't let go of hope. When the night is darkest, don't quit on God. Don't quit on his purpose for your life. The promises of God are for you, the truth of God. But in order to grab hold of hope, you got to let go of some stuff. you got to let go of the fear. you got to let go of the stress. you got to lay down the anxiety and grab a hold of Jesus. And when you get a hold of it, don't let go. Grab hold, not of anything. Our hope is in him. And then we hold on and we cling to the hope that he offers. A new and glorious morning is waiting, so don't lose hope in the dark. It may seem impossible to overcome what you're going through, but I'm here to tell you, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. So don't give up in your weariness, because there's hope. There's hope for your future. There's hope from your past. There's hope in your present, no matter what you're going through, if you cling to him, if you hold on to him. And if you believe that, and you don't give up in your weariness, there's hope for your future. He said the weary world, and today maybe you're weary with fear, and weary with worry over your future. You see, worry is simply surrendering to our fears. It's surrendering to them, right? Here's the thing. When I was handing Riley over, it was literally like I was handing control. By the way, control is just an illusion, right? You don't have control. In an instant, something outside of your control can drastically change your life. Happens every day. Happened right here on Friday night in our ladies' night. Accident right here. My sister called me. She was sitting in the median, right, which dangerous. Don't ever, don't ever wait to turn in that way. Go up, go to the light, turn around. Outside of her control, someone's not paying attention, barely misses her car, swings over from the south side and hits someone coming from going north and hits someone coming south. In an instant, control, it's an illusion, right? We don't have control. We trust the one who has control. And when eight years ago this day I was handing Riley over, it was essentially like, God, this is literally out of my hands. There's nothing that I can do in this moment but trust you. That's what it means to surrender control to God. This is out of my hands. And so we give control to him. But worry is surrendering to your fear. Because here's what you do control. You can't control the outcome of everything. 
But you control what you focus on in any given situation. And so if we are worried, then what we've done is we've given way to say, fear, you have permission in my mind. I am focusing on what I'm afraid of. Or you can focus on the promises of God and hand control over to him. Are you guys following me this, right? So worry, listen, worry is a choice. It's a choice. You're choosing to focus on your fear instead of surrendering and trusting it to God, placing it in his hands. Jesus says over and over again in the Gospels, do not fear. God tells us throughout Scripture hundreds of times, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Trust in me. I always tell people, if you can't control it, meaning there's certain things that you can do in situations, but once you can't do anything else, if you can't control it, don't carry it. That's worry. That's burden. What does Jesus say? Cast on me all of your cares. Bring, cast your cares on me. You can't control it, don't carry it. If you're carrying it, he didn't tell you to carry it. He told you to cast it, to get rid of it, to say, God, just like I did, she is yours. I trust you. God, this situation, it's yours. I can't control it. I can't do anything about it. God, my marriage, it's yours. I can't control my spouse. I can't make them do it. God, this is yours. I will pray. I can do what I can do. I will pray. I'll do what I can do. But God, I trust you to do what I can. That's the way that we've been designed to live. That's how you can have hope for your future. You see, the fear of tomorrow will steal the joy that God offers today. You're so concerned about the future, focusing on your fear, we drag the concerns of tomorrow into today, and we can't even enjoy the present and all that God has for us. You have to realize is that your heavenly Father is with you today, and he's waiting on you tomorrow. He's already there, church. That's the God we serve. That's the benefit of following Jesus, of putting our faith in him, is that we go, I don't know the future, but I know the one who does. He knows the beginning from the end. My life is but a vapor and a mist. I trust God. He's in control. Jeremiah goes on in verse 26. He says, it is good to wait. I hate waiting. Can I just be honest with you? It comes out worse when I'm driving. Down Old State, it's clearly stated it's a 55-mile-an-hour zone. I don't know why that person feels like they need to go 40 in a no-passing zone when I'm late for an appointment, right? Wait patiently. So think about what Jeremiah is saying. He says, I am depressed. I am downcast. Yet, I call to mind who God is. I remember his promises. And then I wait patiently for him to show up in his timing. For him to do all he can do. God, I trust you. It's in your hands. And now I wait patiently for you, right? God's constantly trying to teach us patience, at least me anyway. Again, because I am a control freak. I want to try to control everything. And I'm constantly learning and relearning what it means to surrender my kids, to surrender this church, to surrender my life, and to trust God with it. When situations are out of my control, God brings back to memory. Remember, Kyle, I had that. That means I got this too. Trust me. There's hope. Be faithful. Wait patiently. Wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I said, wait quietly, patiently for God. And as he's teaching me, I try to teach my kids. Come on. 
what it means to be patient, what it means to trust God. When we look throughout Scripture, Lazarus, right? Jesus, they, they send for Jesus, and he says, I'll, I'll get there when I get there. And they're like, it's dire. He's, it's, it's not looking good. And Lazarus dies, and Lazarus is like one of Jesus' best friends. And his sisters get all kind of upset, and they're like, why didn't you come? Where were you? This was Lazarus. This wasn't just anybody other miracle at you. This was Lazarus. And Jesus goes, nah, he's not dead. And they go, uh, no, Lord, we can, literally we can smell him. He's dead. It's too late. But then Jesus steps in, speaks out. In one moment, Lazarus rises from the dead, right? It's the woman with the issue of blood. Twelve years she suffered. Twelve years she waited for a healing. Waiting patiently. Waiting quietly. 38-year-old man was healed at the pool. He had been waiting there forever. Unable to get into the water that would bring healing in, in a moment. Jesus heals him. You see, one thing all these stories have in common is that they had an encounter with Jesus. And isn't it amazing what a difference a day can make sometimes? Isn't it amazing what a difference it can make from the dark of night to the dawn of a new morning when you see there's hope, when you see that there's light? The song says, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. The Bible says his mercies are new every day. You wake up, there's light in the darkness. There's hope in the darkness for you. But if you quit on God in the dark of night, you won't get to experience the glorious morning that's waiting for those who wait patiently for God to respond, who have trusted God. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, weeping may last through the night, that there's a season of mourning. There's a season of, 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 of unknown. There's a season of that. He says, but joy comes with the morning, that there's always a new day. Listen, if you're in the dark of night, a new day could be tomorrow. Don't quit in this moment. Don't give up on God. Your marriage can change. You can be healed. Your financial situation can turn around. God can. He will. Just believe and have hope and trust God. I'm telling you, this is why you're so important to be in a life group too. This isn't enough, guys. Sunday morning's not enough. You got to get out of a row into a circle. If you're just relying on me, you can listen to podcasts, podcasts, whatever you want. But there's a difference between doing life and just showing up and then doing life with people because there's going to be times where you need someone to bring hope into your situation, where you need someone to be the hands and feet of Jesus in your marriage, when your family's failing, when your kids are sick, when something goes wrong. And I love seeing the community of our church come together and rally around people when they need hope in their dark hour. So when the new year comes and we'll be advertising groups again and maybe you want to lead one, maybe, but I'm just telling you, these seasons will come. The dark will come and you're going to need people to remind you to not quit, to not give up, to lift you up and to encourage you when that comes. The team's coming and we're going to close out our time together and maybe you're like me and you go, all right, well, that's encouraging and I appreciate it. Kyle, and it, the thought is great, and, you know, hey, Christmas, it's good, and I'm going I'm to be more hopeful. But what do you really do when you're searching for hope, when you literally feel like you're fighting back darkness in your life, when you're trying to just fight through, what do you do? The Apostle Paul gives us some instructions in Philippians 4, verse 6. He says this, 
Don't worry about anything. <laughs> Come on, Paul, for real? Anything? What do you mean? How is that even possible? He's not saying don't ever, there's not going to be things happen that won't cause you to worry. Remember, worry is a choice. Worry is surrendering to your fear. Worry is choosing to dwell on your fear instead of the promises of God. Worry is saying I'm not calling to my memory the promises of God. I'm calling to memory the fear that I have. He says, so don't worry. Don't give way to fear. Instead, instead, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And then thank him for all that he's already done. Paul's essentially giving us the instructions that Jeremiah had, what he was doing, and what God tells us to do. You see, when you are tempted to worry, let your worry prompt you to pray and to praise. So instead of going, I'm worried, I'm concerned, I don't know what's gonna happen, I'm dwelling on my worry, all this, hey, this situation's coming, it's not good. It doesn't say go hide your head in the sand and go, I hope nothing happens, I'm just gonna, you know, it says, no, 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 no. When the worry comes, because there'll be seasons where it comes, let that worry prompt you to pray. It says, just tell God what you need. What are you worried about? You see, that's what my kids do. When they're worried, when they're afraid, they come into my room. They come in at night when they've had a bad dream. They come in when they're, they're, they can't get their mind off of things. And Maddox oftentimes, before he even goes to sleep, will be like, I'm afraid I'm going to have a bad dream. And I'm thinking about it. And I'll say, well, son, don't think about it. Don't think about that. Think about something else. I can't help what I think about. And Jess and I both will be like, no, Maddox, what you choose to think about is your choice. And then what we do is, is we give him other things to think about. We remind him of some fun stuff in his past. And we'll say, hey, remember when we went there and how fun that was and how much you loved that? Remember your birthday party? You got all that stuff. Wasn't that so cool? He's like, yeah, that was fun. I remember, hey, remember, hey, remember today when we were doing that? Wasn't that a great thing? How God was with us and we can do that? And, and then think about Christmas. Man, Christmas is just around the corner. Why don't you think about that and think about how much fun it's going to be? And immediately he starts thinking about those things and he's not afraid anymore. He's calling to mind what he already knows. But he's choosing in that moment to focus. And this is what Paul is saying. When chaos comes, first thing to do is pause. Pause yourself. Quiet yourself. Be still before God. Get out of it. Remove yourself from the chaos. Get out of the fight. Get out of the situation. Get out of the boardroom. Get out of this. Silence the noise. Turn everything off and go, God, I'm pausing myself. And God, I focus on you. I'm telling you what I need. God, I need you. God, the situation, whatever it is, talk to God. Tell him what you need. The confession telling God what you need isn't for, isn't for God. He already knows, right? It's for you. It's you literally verbalizing, God, this is where I need you. This is what I'm going to trust you with. And he says, and once you've released it, once you've casted it on God, then step back and just begin to thank him. And so, God, I thank you that you're a good God. I thank you that you came. This is what Jeremiah did, church. This is what he did. He said, I call it a memory. I trust God. I praise God. I thank God. He's with me. He's for me. He's got this. He loves Riley more than me. He's got it. Lord, I thank you that you're in control. Those doctors told us that it would be 8 to 12 days that we would be in recovery with a baby that was five weeks old doing, going through the surgery she did. We were home in four days. God was faithful. Was it easy? No. Did I worry? Yes. But I did what I only knew to do. I prayed, I sought God, 
we prayed together, Jess and I, the church surrounded us and prayed for Riley, and God was faithful. There was hope in my darkness. There's hope for you. But you get to choose what you'll do. You're going to focus on your fear. You're going to dwell on the worry. You're going to continue to walk in anxiety. Or are you going to do simply what this song even told us to do? Fall on your knees. Hear the angels in heaven. The Bible says right now there's angels surrounding the throne of God. Crying out how holy he is, how worthy he is. It says sing sweet hymns and joyful joy and grateful chorus we raise. Let all that is within us, we praise your holy name. A weary world rejoices. Today, if you are weary, rejoice in your weariness. There's hope for you. You see, worship is the weapon that God has given us. Literally pierces the darkness, ushers in the light of Jesus. When we give him praise, we proclaim their promises. We pause, we pray, we tell God what we need. We begin to praise him and thank him for his truth and who he is. And it says that there's, 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 there's literally like a spiritual warfare that goes on where in the spiritual realm, darkness is being cut back. The word of God, the promises of God are piercing the darkness around you and allowing for light to come through. But you gotta make a choice to worship. You see, worship and worry can't exist in the same mind. You may be smart, but no one's smart enough to think about two things at once. You may have a lot of things on your mind, but you can only give to your attention to one at a time. And worship and worry cannot coexist. When you're worshiping God, worry is gone. But it's your choice. He's given you the instructions. He is good. Today I've given you all the promises of God. There's hope from your past. There's hope right now in your present. And there's hope for your future. But what are you going to choose to focus on? Psalm 71, 14 through 16 says this, but I will keep on hoping for your help. I'm gonna keep on hoping. I'm gonna keep on hoping, God, for your help. I'm gonna keep praising you more and more. I will tell everyone about your righteousness. I'll tell everyone about how good you are and how good you've been to me. Even though I'm not feeling it, I'm gonna speak it in faith and in truth all day long. I will proclaim your saving power I will keep praising your mighty deeds. Why? Because you are sovereign God. And what he was saying here, I'm going to keep hoping, I'm going to keep praising, no matter what comes my way, come hell or high water, I'm going to keep worshiping God. I'm going to keep telling people that he's good even though I don't feel it. I'm going to keep praising him. I'm going to keep lifting his name. I know he'll save me. His timing is perfect, not mine. Because God, you are sovereign, which means you're in control. And I've given control over to you. It's not mine. Worship is our weapon. Hebrews 6, 18 through 19. Therefore, those who have fled to him for refuge. Who are you fleeing to? Have you misplaced your hope? But those whose hope is in God and and they, they flee to him for refuge, it says they can have great confidence as they hold on to that hope that lies before us. Because this hope that God offers is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. When storms come, what do you need? You need peace. You need to know that God's with you. And it says the hope of God is the anchor that steadies you in the storm. And it doesn't matter what waves come, that boat is not moving. It may get rocked, but it's not moving because it's clinging to the hope that's offered through Jesus. Oh, holy night, the night that he was born, it changed everything for you and me. 
And today, a thrill of hope hopefully is coming to your heart. And today I challenge you to worship in your weariness, to rejoice in your weariness and believe just maybe that this could be the year, that this could be the moment that everything changes for you. Be patient. Wait quietly for God. But just maybe this will be the year. This will be the moment. This will be the time where God brings. Would you stand with me today? And we're going to sing this song and its very simple chorus as we proclaim the truth of God. So let's put the practice what we just learned, church. Pause for a second. In this moment, just pause before God. God, what am I worried about? What is throwing me off? What is sidetracking me? What is overwhelming me? Okay, God, I'm going to begin to tell you what I need. God, I need you here. I need this. I need you to move. And begin to tell God what you need. Confess it. Cast that stuff on him. And then just thank God. God, I thank you that you are with me. I thank you that you're in control. I thank you that you're sovereign. And today, I'm going to keep on hoping. I'm not going to hold out for it. I'm going to grab hold of hope. And then I'm going to hold on to it because it's an anchor for my soul. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the promises of your word today. And today in this moment, we cling to you. We hold on to you. You are the anchor for our soul. And we know that there's hope because of you. So Lord, bring peace in this moment as we surrender our fears and our concerns to you.